Welcome to SF City Insider, a San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Trisha Thadani, a city hall reporter at the Chronicle. My colleague Dom Fricasa and I spoke to the leading candidates in each district race up for grabs in November. This episode, we spoke to District 10 candidate Shimon Walton, a former school board president. Walton has a lot of support from San Francisco and California political veterans. He also has a long history of work in the neighborhood. But some political observers have questioned how voters will respond to his track record. Shimon Walton, thank you so much for coming into City Hall today. If you would like to start with your 60-second elevator pitch, and I will be timing you. So three, two, one, go. My name is Shimon Walton. I'm currently a candidate for District 10 Supervisor, as well as a member of the San Francisco Board of Education and Executive Director of Young Community Developers, which is a workforce development organization in Bayview. This run for me, a District 10 Supervisor, is personal because as a native to the district living in public housing at a young age, both in Bayview and Patrell Hill, I understand the issues and concerns that exist within our communities and being in leadership positions for a couple of decades has also given me that seconds. insight needed to be effective leader for our entire district. I'm excited about being able to address affordability, fight homelessness, improve our transportation, improve our schools, and make sure that we have an economically viable district as well as make sure that we need someone who knows what they're doing, how to bring people together to oversee cleanup of the shipyard and to make sure that our district is thriving and is the place that so goes District 10, so goes San Francisco. So time excited to be here this afternoon. Okay, so um, many have described D10 as sort of this dumping ground for a lot of the rest of San Francisco. You know, it has two overpasses. It has a wastewater treatment plant, a lot of industrial development, and the shipyard, which, um, as you'd mentioned, has been identified as a contaminated site. Um, and so you were saying when we spoke a couple weeks ago um, that residents often have a feeling that they're forgotten about in D10. Um, so if elected, you know, how, how would you give this district more of a voice? Well, one, I, I look at being a representative of the district as someone who is a voice for the people in the neighborhoods and communities in the district. So I would be meeting often within the district's neighborhoods in Patrell Hill, Bayview, Viz Valley, Dogpatch, Little Hollywood speaking with residents, having meetings, and then even in some of the meetings that we have in City Hall, bringing some of them so their voice can be heard in those rooms that they elected me to represent as well. Because bringing community together and allowing them to have a voice in the rooms where decisions are made will be very important. So I will conduct community meetings. I will conduct one-on-one meetings with neighborhood association leaders. I will conduct meetings with our neighborhood associations as well as our merchants and make sure that Anything that I'm doing or the things that I'm saying are coming from the voices of the people and bringing them into City Hall with me as well. Um, And so there's also been a lot of development um, in D10, um, and it also seems like there's plenty of room to do more. Uh, How would you said you would prioritize neighborhood preference and affordable housing? But but what is the right affordable versus market rate balance and how how do you protect that? Well, I definitely look at affordable housing as making sure that no family or no one is spending more than a third of their income on their rent. And I've been successful in building 100% affordable projects using tax increment dollars, working with Mayor's Office of Housing, state funding, and federal funding. Where have those projects been? So we did 59 units of all affordable uh, on the shipyard. And we're doing 156 all-affordable units at Candlestick Point right now, Young Community Developers, along with Tenderloin Neighborhood Development Corporation. I also believe that the city's 
real estate department needs to get more aggressive in purchasing vacant land and developing our own property. With an $11 billion budget, we have the ability to get our own projects financed and go out there and build our own all-affordable housing within our district. To your point, we have so many opportunities for building more housing. Pier 70 is on the way, the power station, sledge lock, candlestick point. So we have plenty of opportunities and plenty of places to build housing. If you look across San Francisco, most of our commercial corridors have housing on top of it. So I want to make sure that we make sure that our commercial corridors along Third Street, along Leland, and some parts of Patrol Hill, we also build more housing on top of commercial because those Developing housing on top of commercial will also not only feed the businesses there, but allow for us to make sure that the resources from developing housing on our commercial corridors will also feed the, the look and the feel and the culture and help with the vibrancy of our businesses as well. So, so you would support a mix of affordable and market rate? And Definitely uh, support a mix of making sure that we have affordable housing along with working class housing. Uh, but a big focus on making sure that housing has 100% affordable components as well as opportunities for inclusionary. Inclusionary is important because if you want the best mix of ethnicities, the best mix of income, the best mix of bringing families and community together, you need to have inclusionary housing as well. Current District 10 Supervisor um, Malia Cohen has made uh, police reform, um, I think, a big part uh, a big part of um, you know what she does from her perch as a city legislator. But I, I wonder if you see yourself uh, taking on a, a similar role. Yeah, just like a building affordable housing and fighting homelessness, I have a wealth of experience of bringing community and police together. Uh, my organization, Young Community Developers, this past year did a documentary with law enforcement, with both the sheriff's department, the sheriff participated, and the police department, the chief of police participated. And we did a series of interviews in barbershops and beauty salons, and we asked community what are their views on law enforcement, and law enforcement what are their views on the community. But we went a step further. After having that conversation, we also developed a white paper that we're working with the police department to make sure that we use the information from the documentary to help guide some of the 272 recommendations that were made for the Department of Justice. So one, I will help continue to push those recommendations that come from community and come from law enforcement, working together on best community policing strategies. Uh, but also being someone who has some ideas about how we do better community policing, a lot of our police don't live in our communities, in our neighborhood, or even in the city anymore. One of the things I want to propose is coming up with resources so that we can bring officers who are not on duty into our communities so they can attend football games, so they can attend events, so they can go to the playgrounds and even bring their families out. Because when law enforcement and community get to know each other, that makes for better relationships and it helps keep our communities safer. So when we talk about community policing strategies, we're really talking about building complete relationships that that is required for anything to be called a community. So the, in terms of building those bridges, does the importance of that kind of ramp up as the city prepares to train and, and put more police officers on the street? The, the importance definitely ramps up, but I think it's been an important goal for at least the past couple of years with some of the mistakes police officers have made over the past couple of years and the communities fighting and really being vocal about what needs to change in the police department things about use of force and how our, our, our minorities and people of color are treated when police come into our community. So definitely going to ramp up. Um, and I think that one of the things we also want to do with the video is we're working to maybe see 
how we can bring that video into some components of training in police academy or when sheriffs are onboarded because we feel that when law enforcement actually has a time to hear from community, working with community, those changes will come. Definitely going to be ramped up, but we're pretty laser focused right now on making sure that those changes are happening. I work closely with Commander Lazar and his team, and he's been responsible for uh, implementing uh, not just you know, the recommendations from the Department of Justice, but the recommendations that have come from task force and come from community and making sure that that culture gets into the entire San Francisco Police Department. So we're going to continue that work uh, and work harder than ever before, I'm pretty sure, because now we actually have some curriculum and some feedback from community that has actually fed the strategies moving forward. So, so your predecessor, Malia Cohen, she's been in office for about eight years at this point. You know, what are your thoughts on how things have been run in the district under her? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely excited about neighborhood preference uh, as we talk about building more housing and making sure that with the lottery system, just because of sheer numbers, certain minorities don't necessarily have the same opportunity when you build housing. So making sure that neighborhood preference continues. Uh, Supervisor Cohen and Mayor Bree fought strongly for that. All the resources that are going to be coming into the city because of the sugary beverage tax. And Supervisor Cohen led the charge on the tax when it didn't pass and when it did pass and making sure that those resources go for educating our communities around health, making sure that opportunities uh, within our schools and within our, our community-based organizations are given to our communities that typically don't have the access to health education or access to even adequate health care in some cases and making sure that we use those resources to do that resources for more dental and oral care. She's led the charge on some of those things. Um, excited about that and want to make sure that we continue that. You talked about her work with police reform and what that what needs to happen. And she's been a strong advocate of that. One of the things I think I'll be laser focused on is, of course, building more housing and having the expertise and knowing how to get it financed, knowing how to find sites, knowing how to locate it and then bringing the right financing together. I'll also bring my experience in building jobs and creating jobs within the district and across San Francisco. We provide over 600 jobs a year in all sectors of employment from construction, retail, hospitality, city and county jobs, and developing more programs where you can have pipelines that feed through the city is something I'm going to be focused on, particularly because we have the highest rates of unemployment mm -hmm. in San Francisco that exist in our district. And so we need someone who knows how to economically empower the community, knows how to create jobs, particularly with all the growth that's on the way. That's why I fought so hard for Prop O, because we wanted to make sure that we had opportunity to bring anchor businesses into our community so people can live and work in our community just like they do in other areas of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So we can bring grocery stores, so we can bring businesses that are gonna hire and employ people within our community. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna be laser focused on those those things as we move forward because that needs to happen. And I'm gonna be laser focused in bringing academia and some uh, entity that people can trust more than the, the Navy and, and more than these bad companies that have done false documentation and false cleanup on the shipyard. I think if we bring in UC Berkeley or UCSF and let them do the testing and provide the research and, and use their resources working with city oversight and working with community oversight, we'll get more trust and they'll have less of a conflict. And so we'll get better results in terms of what actually exists and how do we clean it up mm -hmm. and do it the right way. So, so going off of that, there, there's a lot of new development popping up along um, areas in D10, such as along Third Street, the Third Street Corridor. Um, but like you said, there's still no 
grocery store in the district. Um, so how do you attract more businesses to the area without um, risking the idea of more gentrification in the area as well? Well, again, we have a lot of vacant land um, and vacant areas. And so we actually have a lot of space to where we can bring grocery stores. If you look at Pier 70, if we look at Bayview Plaza and shifting things around and moving things around, the opportunities for grocery stores there, Candlestick Point. Uh, we have some vacant lots along the third street quarter door where we can actually put grocery stores with some rezoning and do some things a little bit different. And it's not about moving people out. It's about actually enhancing what's already there and about making sure that we have the infrastructure to accept people who are on the way and provide adequate opportunity for the indigenous community and the population that exists right now. So with that said, you know, the more people that are coming, the more exciting and attractive it is getting to businesses like uh, retail like grocery stores and we just have to make sure that we match the right place with the growth and do it at the right time and the time is definitely past tense but definitely now. Uh, Shimon you've worked with uh, uh, Mayor London Breed on community projects in the past um, I just like to know what your relationship is with the mayor uh, and how you see yourself working with her as a supervisor. Yeah well I first well, met London I mean I knew her uh, as a child and then I was a uh, worked for the Department of Children, Youth, and Families, and I was a program officer. And so some of her programs, when she was executive director of the African-American Cultural Complex, uh, managed a couple of her projects uh, for a little while, make sure that you know, city resources are used to do the right thing. And she had great programming for the arts, particularly for students in Fillmore and the Western Edition. Uh, and it was just really a hub for our young black folks to go and experience culture and arts and also have a safe place to to be after school and so that's how we started our work together and then when I became an executive director of young community developers she was still at the cultural complex for a while and we had summer programming where we provide training and jobs for individuals it was primarily Bayview Hunters Point and Mayor Breed and I sat down and had a conversation and she was like I have these young folks that I want to get to work we don't have the same type of programming at the time in the Western Edition, so how can we work together to bring some of my young people to get the training you provide and connect them to the jobs that YCD has available? So we developed a way to bring them into the training, provided transportation, and work together on that. And we were able to get some good outcomes for some young men uh, that were from the Western Edition. With territorial issues and things that are sometimes involved with the city, that made for exciting work together. Uh, and then she went on and got elected, and we've done similar work together with the uh, Interrupt Predict, an organized program that Mayor Lee and his office started, and we work with the young community developers. Excited about being able to build training hubs and working on finding sites to where we can actually provide some of the training we do at YCD, and that happens at the Success Center, and really do more hardcore certificated training in areas and take some of our young folks out of community. Uh, if we look at Hidden Valley Ranch, uh, which was behind Log Cabin, and now Log Cabin has been shut down, at least temporarily. I want to work with the mayor and leadership of the city to maybe develop some kind of vocational hub in those areas that the city owns that gets people out of their comfort zone or, or their normal place and puts them in a safe area to, to actually learn, take inf in information. So excited about those types of projects and opportunities, as well as building housing together. I know that the mayor's laser focused on that, and we already see some of the things she's doing with keeping our streets clean and trying to combat homelessness. Um, 
we've already written a proposal when I say we YCD Hunters Point family Episcopal Community Services five keys to bring a navigation center to 125 Bayshore so we'll have two in the district mm -hmm. um, navigation centers provide the mental health and substance abuse supports that we need we also incorporated a jobs program so looking forward to working with the mayor on things like that um, as well as you know if I'm fortunate enough to get elected my colleagues on the Board of Education I'm also supported by eight current members of the board and bringing people together and working hard to fight against division but build off our commonalities mm -hmm. is something that uh, I'll be, be looking forward to also. So lightning round. So if you keep your um, responses as brief as possible, that'd be great. Um, so as supervisor, if elected, what is the first piece of legislation that you'd, you'd want to sponsor? First thing I want to sponsor is local mandatory hiring across all sectors of employment. So we have local mandatory hiring for construction projects over $400,000 that use city resources. But I want to bring in local mandatory hiring to tech and to retail and to hospitality and healthcare and make sure that we have certain levels of percentage of hiring people when you build or you have big businesses and community. And so that'll be the first thing that I'll be working on. I think one of the most closely watched um, uh, measures on the ballot, uh, at least local measures, is a Prop C, our city, our home. Where do you fall on that measure? Yep, I'm supportive of Prop C. Um, I am excited about the fact that putting resources aside that will actually house and, and take 4,000 people off the street uh, and being a part of making sure that that plan comes into fruition is something that I look forward to. Um, and I also think that we can have a conversation with our big businesses about how we work together if Prop C passes um, because we have to address the homelessness in our streets. And so this is going to house homeless. It's also going to help build more affordable housing and build more supportive and permanent housing. So it's a win for, I think, for cities and for businesses to play a role. We have a crisis here in San Francisco, and the only way to address it if everyone works together to do that. I mean, even as a member of the Board of Education, we are now going to bring emergency overnight sleep services to Buena Vista Horse Man right on campus. So just imagine what that may look like for families who have been homeless in our schools once this pilot is successful. We have to all work hard to address the crisis that exists. I would ask you the same uh, thumbs up or thumbs down question on the statewide Proposition 10, the repeal of uh, Costa Hawkins and the proposed local expansion uh, of rent control laws. Where do you fall on that one? I support Prop 10. Uh, I think that it gives us an opportunity here in San Francisco to figure out what we want to do to address our, our affordability crisis and how we would administer rent control. Of course, because we have such a high percentage of single-family homes in District 10 and making sure that our seniors are protected, I'll be working hard to make sure that whatever legislation that gets developed it protects our single-family homeowners and protects our seniors, but there's a way to do that responsibly and make sure that we as a city get determined working with our communities and within our city what rent control should be in San Francisco. Um, so compared to your competitor, um, one of your competitors, Tony Kelly, you and Theo Ellington are considered the more quote-unquote moderate candidates. How do you feel about that characterization? Well, I'm, I'm a fierce fighter with progressive values. Um, I think if you look at it, who supports me, you'll see it's across the board from your far left to your moderate uh, leadership of San Francisco. Uh, and so for me, I think everybody understands that I focus on the issues and we attack the issues with thoughtful and intelligent and strategic strategies and we get things done. Um, and because we work well with people 
And if I have a disagreement with someone, I know how to move past it and, you know, understand that we may not agree on issue A, but now it's time to get to work on issue B because we have plenty of things to work on in the mm -hmm. city. So never been pigeonholed and don't see a, t see a reason to be pigeonholed now. Mm -hmm. All right, Shimon, thank you so much for coming into City Hall. Thank you so much for having me. This show is a part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. It was produced by me, Dom Fercasa. For more City Hall coverage, visit sfchronicle.com. <laughs>